Hello everyone, this is Sherry Rice. Welcome to Access to Healthcare's weekly podcast, where we bring you local guests on topics of interest to you and your family. Today we continue with our series on mental health issues during the pandemic. Last week we discussed the emotional issues that COVID-19 has brought up for us, for many of us, and for our families. It was a fabulous conversation, and this week we're going to continue by discussing another important topic, the emotional impact of being laid off your job. My guest in this series is Nora Ann Brooklocker. Nora is a licensed marriage and family therapist locally with Sierra Sunrise Wellness. Welcome, Nora Ann. Hi, thank you. That was a fabulous conversation last week, and I know this week's will will be too. We we touched a lot of different topics of the stress and the emotional impact that the pandemic has had on us, and which was really helpful, I know, for me, and certainly probably for a lot of our listeners, because the pandemic is just continuing on. Yes. Yes, it sure is. There's... Uh, it's very open-ended, um, and we're uncertain as to really when uh, we'll be able to, quote-unquote, get back to some semblance of normality. Yeah, and I think that uh, we talked last week about grief and the stages of grief, uh, cognitive dissonance, which I think we probably, that will come up in this podcast or some future podcasts, um, that we get these mixed messages. And then the grieving process, because I think we all thought it would be over very quick. Um, and when it kept lingering on, and here we are six months later, and there's no end in sight, that's, I think, a shifting process for us, isn't it? When you think something's going to be over, and now you have to adjust to it continuing? Yeah, yeah, absolutely. You know, I think um, initially that there was a great deal of confusion as quarantine went into effect back in March, Um, And especially for those who were making it already paycheck to paycheck, Uh, they were likely, uh, there was a great deal of fear of how am I going to be able to make ends meet when we're already just barely scraping by. And um, I recall we were told to get a 30-day supply uh, in case we needed to, to stay home 100%. Uh, we didn't know at that time if stores would even be open. Um, so there was there was a lot of unknowns at that point in time. Um, and I remember when we were at the store stocking up, there's this one woman who had tears in her eyes and who said, I can't, I can barely make two weeks mm-hmm. versus trying to get a whole 30 day supply and just feeling such immense panic. And then, of course, it has continued, and thankfully the stores have stayed open, so we've been able to continue to have our supply, and thankfully farmers and ranchers and so many amazing essential workers have maintained um, that ability for us to to, uh, continue forward. But there's been a tremendous amount of confusion as to what do I do? Right, right. Um, we could talk about the toilet paper wars. I mean, it's fascinating <laughs> that people uh, focused on their paper goods, but I also understand they needed to focus on something. Well, let's talk a little bit, because you brought up that woman um, in the store being very upset because she only had money for two weeks' worth of supplies, which happens for many, many people. They pay check from paycheck, and and then they are laid off. They're not fired. They didn't do anything wrong. 
I think that's part of uh, the whole issue of being laid off, which is I didn't cause this. Uh, over 34 million Americans have lost their job due to the pandemic. That's huge. Losing a job is traumatic at any time, but losing it during a pandemic because businesses have shut down seems particularly hard. And so you add the stress of job loss to the stress of worrying daily about getting the virus, um, and it just seems like, Noran, that it's a recipe for major overload. Yeah, yeah, I would absolutely say so. I think that um, one thing I would like to look at is Maslow's hierarchy of needs. Um, and so the very bottom level is ensuring that your basic needs are met. That includes a roof over your head, um, ensuring you have water, that you have food. The next level up is then safety, and that's where the virus comes in. So there was a bit of a battle, I would say, for some people in trying to adhere to quarantine standards, but at the same time um, not necessarily having their basic needs met. I will say that the initial stimulus check, the amplified unemployment benefits, and the moratorium on evictions very well might have been life-saving for some families and individuals who truly did not know if they were going to get through that particular chapter. And as we've already touched on, it has now lasted a whole lot longer than many of us originally conceptualized that it would. And now that moratorium on evictions has lapsed, and now they're talking about an additional stimulus check, possibly changing up the unemployment benefits. Governor Sisolak has just uh, made an announcement regarding um, trying to uh, make it access to the unemployment benefits a little bit easier. But that, too, was another major stressor in trying to just get through to the unemployment office to get their needs met. Mm Mm-hmm. Well, we we talked a little bit uh, last week, I believe, about the issue of fight, flight, or freeze. Um, and many of us, and I know myself uh, in my past have done this, I just sit down and freeze because I don't know where to start. Um, mm. I don't know. There, there's that sort of thing that happens that you just go, I just have to, I have to not think about this for a little while. Um do you find that common in people that have been laid off? Yeah, yeah. I think the the freeze response has been quite common. Um, I think uh, almost a sense of paralysis and, and the not knowing what to do or where to go next. Um, I think for, for a number of people, they're potentially even looking at having to have a whole career pivot Um, uncertain as to when they're even going to be able to get back into the career that they currently do, perhaps because it's like, say, a masseuse where it's very hands-on. You know, there's there's just a number of different uh, people here who they just don't know what direction to turn to. Yeah, we're taping this on Friday, August 7th, as you know, Nora, and this morning the the job assessment for the quarter came out, I believe, I don't have it in front of me, so don't hold me to a total quote, but uh, we did add more jobs, but an economist also was uh, saying that those are the jobs that were easy to bring back, and we still have uh, a 10%, almost 11% uh, rate of unemployment, and those are going to be the jobs that are going to be hard to bring back because of 
the pandemic and the restrictions that have been applied to it. So it's sort of like we added jobs of the ones that were really easy to bring back uh, restaurants that were opening and maybe they brought back four or five of the people instead of the 20 people, et cetera, et cetera. Um, and so as this lingers, uh, what will happen to the person who really wants to work and can't find a job? How do they cope with that? Well, um, research has established a very strong link between economic upheaval and suicide and substance abuse use. Um, so a study of the Great Recession that began in late 2007 found that for every percentage point increase in the unemployment rate, there was about a 1.6% increase in the suicide rate. Um, and using estimations uh, from a Texas nonprofit, Meadows Mental Health Policy Institute, they created models that suggested that unemployment amid the coronavirus pandemic ends up rising five percentage points to a level similar to the Great Recession. An additional 4,000 people could die of suicide and an additional 4,800 from drug overdoses. But if the unemployment rises by 20 percentage points to levels recorded during the 1930s Great Depression, suicides could increase by 18,000 and overdose deaths by more than 22,000. So that is a massive, massive number. And so I think that we, looking down the, the road here, we're going to need to also see that there's going to be a mental health crisis as people are doing their utmost to cope. Um, and I do also want to say that while a great deal of funds have been put aside, um, so while Congress recently authorized somewhere around $100 billion in emergency funds for hospitals and medical providers, very little of that is going to go towards mental health and addiction service providers mm-hmm. um, because they mainly receive funding through uh, Medicaid, and most emergency provider money is being distributed through Medicare. I will say a slight soapbox as a licensed marriage and family therapist that um, – Unfortunately, I don't know why. I truly do not know why. Uh, we're not allowed to treat for Medicare. Um, and so that's a huge population of people that may be receiving funding but are not necessarily able to get in with a provider. So there's a number of pieces on the mental health side that I think um, are going to need to be put into place because as this continues, I think that there is going to be a mental health crisis. Well, that's very sobering, Noran. Let's see if we can pick this apart just a little bit. Um, Our jobs tie into our self-worth, don't they? That we feel productive, especially if we're needing to feed our family and we feel like we're doing uh, something useful. So the loss of a job by being laid off, because doesn't that have a little different connotation than if you did something and got fired? And what does the blow to your self-worth? Right. So it's been interesting with this label of essential versus non-essential. That definitely is going to tie into self-worth for some people. Um, And additionally, you're absolutely right. People's identities can often be wrapped up in the work that they do. Um, And, you know, even when we're in a a typical conversation, one of the first questions people will often ask in addition to a person's name is, and what do you do? You're so much more than a job title. And yet, perhaps especially in our culture, one's work or career is a fundamental part of who we are. That's true. We, We assess people by what they do, don't you think? 
Absolutely, absolutely. Whether that's good, bad, right, or wrong, right. Um, right. that's a whole different question. But there, there absolutely is some level of that. If 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 I do not have a job, if I'm unemployed, what what then is my level of utility? What am I giving back? And that is definitely one of the um, suicide red flags is when people have lost a sense of utility. Well, what what am I now able to do? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. That's so true. Our our feeling of being productive. Um, and another podcast down the road might be retirement because um, I'm 70 and I'm approaching that and uh, that feeling of worth after you retire. But back to the to the pandemic um, and our self worth, the feeling of being out of control. Can we talk about that just a little bit? You brought up some great things: the basic needs, the safety. Uh, if we can't meet our own basic needs, we don't have a, a roof over our head, we we can't get food for our family, um, how could you not feel out of control? That's exactly right. I, I think that um, jobs as well, they can provide a roadmap for one is where one is headed in life, and it can provide that sense of reliability and security. You know, there might be so many things that are happening around us, but if we have our jobs, then we're we're continuing. And again, we we can even rise up into Maslow's third level in the hierarchy, and that is love and belonging. That too has actually been um, a difficult one for many during this pandemic due to social distancing and quarantine and isolation. That's really been the name of the game. So that too has been a difficult one. But that's a little bit higher up in the the needs category, if you will. Um, without a job, so much becomes unknown, including, as mentioned, how am I going to pay my bills? Well, I have to new, learn an entirely new trade. What do I do now? We crave this sense of control because it provides that sense that we are not helpless, powerless. There's a great deal in life that is absolutely out of our control anyway. And I think that can be really fear and anger provoking for so many people. Mm-hmm. And what about the feeling of being a victim? Where does that fit into this? Well, first I do want to say victims become survivors. And secondly, I want to say that this truly has been a catastrophic event. There are absolutely people in this situation who have been true victims. Um, That includes an increase in domestic violence that increase in substance abuse, child abuse, people watching as their dreams and their small businesses crumble before their eyes, Um, and those, again, who are barely hanging on anyway, leading to that much higher suicide rate. Mm -hmm. Then there's also a victim mentality. I I do want to also say that, that sometimes people just have the perception, bad things always happen to me. Um, And so I think that Sometimes it's an important thing to identify if there are, in fact, things within one's control that uh, we're, not, we're not currently focusing on, um, perhaps because we are so deeply in fight or flight, uh, fight, flight, or freeze. Um, but with that said, I want to also put out an interesting juxtaposition that has also been present um, during the pandemic, and that is the optimism bias, and that is that bad things happen but they happen to other people, and I'm safe. <laughs> they won't happen to me, of course. Um, and I think that that, too, has been really eye-opening for quite a number of people. In fact, you can be affected by this. Well, and that brings up something else I saw this morning is our, our mayor, uh, Hillary Sheevy, said on the news that 
we needed to stop. When we do the report every day from Washoe County, we say, of the death report, we say 70-year-old died with male with underlying health conditions. And she made a comment and said, we need to stop saying they had underlying health conditions because other people think that this will never happen to them because they feel they don't have underlying health conditions. Mm-hmm. And that's that kind of exactly goes along. Right. You, you get it. It sort of goes along a little bit with what you're saying. We we justify the the place where we're standing. <laughs> and mm-hmm. and you know I know for myself I have uh, have had and occasionally it pops its head two lists. One is I'm the um, sort of I'm I'm in trouble list. Though I will say I don't always use that phrase. It's one probably a little worse. And the other one is, oh, I think I'll be okay list. And then I mm-hmm. hear about something where um, I don't have that particular thing, and I it goes over to the I think I'll be okay list. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yep. Absolutely. Yeah. yeah, as I had mentioned last week, there's this idea that we become focused on the things that do directly impact us. And if we think that this isn't something that impacts me, then perhaps we put less attention or focus towards it towards perhaps using some of those mitigating uh, efforts to stop potential uh, preventative measures. Well, sure. It's a way to keep it at bay. Right. I'm going to put my hand out and keep you way at bay by saying that I'm not that person. So, therefore, (laughs) I won't get that. And uh, that might be a whole other podcast, though. (laughs) And it's truly that, I would say, is another way of trying to regain that sense of control. Mm-hmm. That sense mm-hmm. of I am in control because this won't affect me. Yeah, of course. the cognitive my, dissonance is even there with that one too. That's right. I know my lists are about trying to, well, first of all, trying to make sense out of nonsense, but also trying to exact a little control over this. And I do every day um, say how thankful I am that I still have my job because I understand that if I had been laid off along with all of this. I can't even imagine it, Noran. I can't. I I'm understand everything you're saying about the um, severity of this issue for people and how sobering that it is. Let's talk, talk about some steps people can take. Uh, I really want to uh, get this out that it's not hopeless, helpless. Um, what can we do? Um, So I I want to address that there are four stages of change. The first stage is pre-contemplation in which um, someone is perhaps unable or unwilling to look at the problem or the issue. Um, So they might have some underlying idea of unhappiness or discontent, but they're just not yet in a space to address it. Um, And in this situation, we have been catapulted out of that. We, we have to look at it. We have to address it. There are some situations, whether you like it or not, you're in it and you have to do something in order to mitigate the, the harm or damage that's happening. Um, and that might be where you go into contemplation, second stage. Now, I think a lot of people at this point in time are in contemplation. This is a stage in which people are aware that a change is necessary or happening. Um, and that uh, they're uncertain as to the best way to approach it. And oftentimes there are many options on the table, the different directions that they could take. Um, However, there's usually a great deal of ambivalence. They might find themselves kind of waffling back and forth, weighing these decisions, but ultimately feeling very stuck. Um, And what 
so often can happen is people skip the third stage, which is preparation, and they jump straight into the fourth stage, which is action. Um, but it's a little bit like building a brick house on top of toothpicks. So mm. What's likely to happen? Mm-hmm. It will crumble, not because it's not the right decision, but because it just doesn't have the adequate foundation to support it, um, which is why preparation is so vital to success. Now, some people perhaps feel as if they're in a sinking boat and all they're trying to do is cover all the different holes of where the water might be coming in right. and feeling as if, oh, I don't know how to stay afloat right now. And so preparation is a very difficult one right now for a number of people as they're just really facing um, such huge loss at this point in time. Um, so one of the big things I would say in terms of uh, focusing on, on what it is that we can do, um, perhaps it is taking that time to adjust if that is in your ability. That means allowing yourself to be in contemplation, um, taking care of your health, absolutely, and that includes mental health. Um, definitely looking for that new job. There are other jobs out there, as you had described, um, but some people are also feeling that their sense of safety then is something that they're they're not able, they have to choose between having a job and having safety. Um, I would also say asking for help. This is one of the hardest things that we can do. I think uh, so often people feel as if there's a sense of failure or weakness if they have to ask for help. But we are a village. We are uh, more often than not very social creatures. And I think um, codependency has gotten a very bad rap. Um, And certainly it can get to very, very unhealthy, uh, toxic levels. But I think by definition, human beings, especially when we're first born, we are very dependent creatures. And we look to one another to to survive. And so when it comes to asking for help, it's, it's not a matter of failure. It sometimes is a matter of success and allowing yourself that, that um, next sunrise, that next day. Um, and also remembering what makes life worth living. You know, that's one of the other pieces here. I think a lot of people are, um, as they're they're feeling as if they're, uh, in that that sinking boat, you know, it's, it's well, what what's even the point? And I want to say it's it's really remembering what makes life worth living, what it is that you're struggling so hard in order to try to achieve. Because there are there are resources out there, um, and I think sometimes too, it's, it's allowing yourself the opportunity and the time to be able to get to them. So these four stages of change. Um, the first one. My analogy for that, for me, would be sort of sitting on the couch and going, feeling like uh, somebody had whacked me and I just can't get up. Uh, The contemplation would be, well, you know, taking stock of my life and what do I want to do with it? And is there some decision-making that comes with contemplation that puts you into the preparation? Decision-making, I think I'll find a new career. I think I'll go back to computer classes uh, and preparation is that I need to take computer classes, I need to get my resume put together. Are those some of the concrete pieces of those stages? That sounds absolutely right. Uh, The pre-contemplation might be... um, it might be the sitting on the couch and just trying to kind of ignore it, like the la, 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 it's not happening, it's not real. Maybe it's like the denial stage of grief uh, or avoidance, if you will. Yeah. Um, but, yes, absolutely, those are the concrete ways to look at it. Yeah, that would be the yeah. watching Netflix all day. <laughs> sure, yeah. And then the action, yeah. 
um, I know I always feel better if I can take some action. And uh, action could be applying for jobs. It can be uh, going back to school. It can be any of those any of those types of things that one feels they're doing some sort of forward momentum. Right. Right. So action might be exactly that. You're you're um, now putting out your resume. You're going to job interviews. Um, it might be that, in fact, you're, uh, in some cases, unfortunately, perhaps even moving. Um, that that has also been a reality for some people across the U.S. is that they're having now to go to a different area where perhaps um, they have more opportunity or housing prices or what have you are a little bit lower now that they no longer have their housing option and uh, fewer funds to be able to afford living in a particular area. Well, just putting out a resume, it seems to me, would be an affirmation that I have worth that I'm worth uh, enough to apply for a job, um, that I have something to offer, I guess. Yes. Yes, I would agree with that. Absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. We have um, a podcast, I think, coming out next week. I don't know. I have to ask uh, Jackie. We did with a financial uh, organization here in town. It's a nonprofit that literally will walk people through that are being laid off or really anybody what is the next step for them, trying to figure out even down to what should I pay first, what is my priority, um, and we'll be airing that next week. I think that would be very valuable for people. Let's talk about the constant and continual worrying, Nora Ann, that goes along with the pandemic, but certainly heightens it if you've been laid off. Right. Worrying can be really helpful in that it is a survival mechanism. I think it's pretty incredible that we have the ability to think about future possibilities and therefore plan for likely outcomes. Um, However, often we do gravitate uh, towards worst-case scenarios, and this is particularly prevalent for those who have some level of post-traumatic stress disorder because some of the worst-case scenarios have, in fact, already happened in their lives, and they are bracing for what else might come down the pipeline. So when it comes to worrying, I think it's, it's one of those where it can be helpful, but sometimes as well it can rob us of our peace in the here and now. While we're so worried about uh, death or so many things happening, um, are they happening now? And that's one of the pieces that can be really important to come back to. Um, and for some people, they might be. And so with the with the worrying, I think that there is um, some necessity to it. Um, but I think as well, uh, one of the important things that we can do is to focus on our strengths. We excel when we maximize our strengths mm-hmm. versus focusing on our perceived weaknesses. And sometimes, too, and I, I, um, I really want to emphasize this one because it is one of the things that we can do, anybody, anybody, is take a deep breath. Mm-hmm. I know mm-hmm. that um, even I just want to do it right now. <laughs> uh, yeah. It's one of the ways that we can move out of fight or flight. What it actually does, there, there is some scientific basis to it, is it um, really allows some oxygen to filter up to the brain. That oxygen signals to the brain that it, we can come out of fight or flight. Um, 
So when it comes to taking some of those really good deep breaths, when we're in fight, flight, or freeze, we're we're not functioning to our normal levels, right? We're in survival mode. And so we're not necessarily going to be thinking clearly. And so if we can focus on the breath, um, and especially during a time where breath has been really a prevalent topic, whether it's with COVID and people mm. having this respiratory yeah. illness yeah. Um, or the BLM movement, which it, they've said, I can't breathe. Right. So the right. breath really is a massive piece right now. So to focus on your breath is also to focus on something that you do, in fact, have, which means that you are alive. You're still fighting. That's a fascinating analogy, Noreen. I really, I really enjoyed that. Let's recap a little bit. Today we're talking about the anxiety and everything that is produced when you're laid off your job, and then you add the pandemic to that. We've talked about Maslow's hierarchy of needs and that many people are down in their basic needs. I want to remind people that there are organizations and programs out there that can help you with your basic needs. Um, and all you have to do is go to the access to healthcare.org website. That's not like an infomercial for us, but we we deal every day with people's basic needs. That would be part of that preparation action. Uh, ask us for help. We can send you to the right area for your basic needs. But you've brought up safety and how sometimes um, people are worried about their safety on their job or going back to their job for safety, and that's added to it. But I think the thing today that was so sobering was your um, the issues you brought up on addiction and suicide and that this isn't just about losing a job. It could be about losing people mm-hmm. and what that means for our community and for the people in it. Over the next, we know that this COVID isn't going away. What are your biggest concerns over the next six months as we all continue to struggle um, with all of the issues of the pandemic and all of the issues of the economy? Well, I think in the United States, one in five adults endure the consequences of of mental illness each year, um, yet less than half receive treatment. And as suicide rates have fallen across the world, the rate in the United States has climbed every year since 1999, increasing 33% in the past two decades. Part of the problem is that the U.S. has a markedly different way of treating mental illness compared to physical illness. And I think that that's one of the pieces here is that there's so much stigma to it. Everybody has mental health. Whomever you are who's listening right now, you have mental health. Your loved ones, everyone you know, have mental health. It's nothing to be ashamed of. When our car starts to clunk, what do we do? We take it into the shop. We get it fixed. When we have a broken bone, we go to the doctor. We get a cast. So I would say one of the biggest things I want to emphasize to anybody listening today is that you do have mental health, and it's okay if you are struggling. It doesn't feel okay. I fully hear that. (laughs) But with that said, if you're having a hard time, please, by all means, reach out, ask for help, whether, again, it's a friend, family, loved one, or it's, in fact, going to a professional um, in which you could perhaps be able to gain some clarity and perspective and work through the grief as it is arising. 
Thank you, Nora. Those are great words. And yesterday I noticed that Michelle Obama, who is, um, of course, revered by many in her podcast, said that she um, is depressed, that she has a slight form of depression and she's not embarrassed to admit it. And that that is an opportunity for us to see somebody who's willing to come forth and say, I'm having a problem. And uh, it's really good to hear you say that reaching out for help is something that's hard, but it's also something that can be helpful. Isn't that right? That's exactly that's exactly right. Yeah. It could be life-saving. Mm-hmm. So we've been talking about the emotional stress and the impact of being laid off of your job today um, with Nora Ann uh, Brooklocker. She's a licensed marriage and family therapist here locally with Sierra Sunrise Wellness. Uh, fabulous words today, Nora Ann. And again, if you are having issues with basic needs, uh, issues that access to healthcare can help you with, please go to our website, accesstohealthcare.org. Next week, we have a very timely topic, don't we, Norian? It's on should I send my children back to school? Oh, boy. That's a big <laughs> one right now for so many families. Yes, ma'am. Well, and I feel like we've touched on so many things that are going to be in that topic, from the uh, the mixed messages to change to control to fear. You know, it's almost like we've we've um, laid the groundwork a little bit for that topic. Do you think? I I absolutely would say so. I yeah. absolutely would say so. I think that we can apply so many of these same concepts, and hopefully we can uh, have that built-up foundation in order to, to best apply them for making some of those decisions, taking action. Yeah. Well, if you know somebody, if you're listening to this podcast and you know someone who's been laid off or is struggling with their, uh, with their basic needs and their safety issues, um, please pass on the podcast to them. I want to thank everyone for listening. And for a list of our podcasts, go to accesstohealthcare.org slash podcast. And please, everyone, stay safe. And as Nora Anna said, we all have mental health. So uh, take care of yours and be kind to yourself. And please wear your mask.